Well, hello and uh, welcome to another episode of GUcast. Uh, my name is Declan Murphy, a urologist here at Peter McCallum Cancer Centre uh, in Melbourne. It's uh, a great privilege to have my co-host Renu Epen here with us again. Hello, Renu. Hi, Declan. Great to be here in a studio full of people. Yes, it's weird <laughs> in these COVID times, but it's a big studio. You it just is. have to imagine we're in this expansive space at oh, Peter yeah, Mac. Oh yeah, definitely social distancing. We sure are, um, <laughs> but it is kind of nice to have people around us, isn't it? It is we're, fantastic. We're, we're not used to that. Um, so today, yes, we do have a few guests that we're going to introduce to you now. Nobody on Zoom today, everyone in the house, which is kind of a break, isn't it? How, uh, how long have you been on Zoom already today? Oh, hours. Hours. <laughs> we have an investigator. So we have a, a real in-person uh, studio chat today with um, uh, some friends and colleagues. So um, uh, first I'll introduce our uh, uh, welcome back, I should say, specialist nurse uh, Emma Birch, um, uh, who has joined us on a podcast before. Hello, Emma. Hi, everyone. Yeah, Emma, nurse consultant uh, here at PAC, uh, Peter Mack um, and cancer specialist with lots of experience in managing uh, men with prostate cancer. And our special guests uh, in the studio um, are Alan and Fiona White. Hello, folks. Hello Declan. there, Declan. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> lovely to see you. And Alan, of course, you joined us on a podcast uh, just a couple of weeks ago. We, we, we were focusing on uh, the journey towards a, a radical prostatectomy and you kindly joined us from the patient perspective. And we'll talk a little bit about your background as, as we go through this. And today, uh, our theme is a little bit different. We've jumped the other side of the fence and our theme is uh, the post-prostatectomy journey. Um, things I wish we knew back then is, is what we've put on the title of this podcast because we very much want you as a patient and Fiona, you as a partner of a patient, and not just any old patients, but patients who have become great advocates for other patients. You're, you're very, you've been very public on your own journey. Uh, your website, The Prostate Zone, is fantastic. You've written a book, Alan. You support mm-hmm. lots of research we do at Peter Mac by being a patient advocate. I must say, you haven't actually been a patient of ours. You've, 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 no. uh, we've, I have. You ha- oh, Fiona, <laughs> thank you. There you go. Um, I didn't know that, actually. Oh, yes. Um, so, it's, so with that little kind of brief background to you uh, as a couple on the post-prostatectomy journey. It's, it's wonderful to, to welcome you in here to talk about uh, this theme today. Thank you. Fantastic. And uh, with that, I'm going to hand over to Renu, uh, who's going to uh, kick us off. So, Alan and Fiona, it's wonderful to chat with you today on, on GUcast. And uh, as you know, one of the biggest tools we have to, to learn is a retrospectoscope. And you guys have been through your own prostate cancer journey and many others have interacted with you about their experiences. Can I ask you, looking back years later now, what are some things you wish you knew back then? Well, I guess from the male perspective is the, the two major side effects, which I didn't really know about, even though I, I think I did Google stuff. Uh, you know, you erectile dysfunction, incontinence, and in those days it was still open cut, wasn't robotics, and you could die. And I went, dying's the least of my problems. <laughs> erectile dysfunction, incontinence is what I am having to look at. Yeah. And look, at that point in time, there wasn't a lot of information. It was learning on the job, basically. Yeah. Um, didn't do a lot of book reading. There wasn't much in the way of that as either. So they were the two major things. But I don't know which was worse, incontinence or erectile dysfunction. Um, I took a little bit longer to recover from the erectile, um, from the incontinence. So there were days when I felt like I was just constantly going to the toilet. And also the other two side effects was... The loss of the penis, or the loss of length, yeah. knew nothing about that. And the girth, not you know, it wasn't, wasn't like a fishing story, you know, it was yeah. this big sort of sure. thing. But those, <clears throat> you think, oh, you'll, you'll get over that. But if you don't know about it, you don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. And also, it, it, it had shrunk. You know, Percy had, the penis had shrunk, and he was cold. Where did that come from? No one knew about learning on the job. It was, yeah, quite devastating. And men, I don't think, understand the impact of 
for of that. In fact, I remember when I was still working, coming across a client who was three years down the track and he was still emotionally impacted by the impact of the surgery on him. And we met up for coffee and he was on a verge of tears again. So that yeah. was, and this is before I was even facing it myself, this was years before. Um, and you'll talk to blokes and they say, yeah, okay, I'm okay, but incontinence is still going on. Well, how long has it been? Three, four years. And you go, what? And you're still dealing with it? Have yeah. you spoken to anyone about it? Has anyone referred you to somebody? I think there's a sort of a mentality, oh, I'll just get over it and just deal with it. Fiona, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm thinking about some of the people that we've spoken to over recent years at men's sheds and other events, and often some bloke will come up and they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I lost my prostate about you know, five years ago. And you go, oh, oh, how are you tracking? Oh, yeah, I'm really good. Oh, how are your waterworks? Oh, well, yeah, they're pretty pretty hopeless, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaking like a sieve all day. And you think, isn't that interesting, that juxtaposition? Yeah, I'm right, but I'm leaking all day every day. And I think a lot of blokes out there think that they just have to suck it up and yeah. uh, not complain and just soldier on without actually going and seeing, maybe there's something I, I could have done. Yeah. Maybe there's some way of fixing this problem. And I think there are two tiers really to being well informed before you undergo an operation like that. It's it's avoiding the emotional impact of being hit with something that you didn't expect. Mm. And then knowing that there are options to fix it and that you know, men don't have to live with, you know, debilitating consequences like that. That's mm. good. And I think, and, and I will say, uh, qualify, I'm not getting paid for this, but the information session that's run here at PMAC is just gobsmacking. It's just so fantastic. Look, the blokes walking, looking like they've been caught in the headlights, you know, the rabbit in the headlights. And when they walk out the end after three and a half hours, they have been informed. They know what to expect. <clears throat> Some of the information may go across the top of their heads, but they know they're going to wake up with a catheter and they know they're going to have a penis that's going to be shorter and that's an impact on them physically and emotionally. So they know there is support for them within the system, even if they live regionally. And I think the other thing is that if blokes are single on their own, this is an even bigger impact because there's been a few blokes come in and they've gone back to Gippsland somewhere and I've actually met them on the tram as we leave. I go, you need to talk to your local council you can look after yourself at home, but you need to look, get some support from family or friends or you don't have to do this on the own. Make sure there's a support group in the area. Go along. You don't have to go all the time, but you don't have to do this on your own. You're not the only bloke with prostate cancer out there. And Emma, um, I'd, I'd be keen to hear your thoughts because you have so much experience in, in dealing with our patients who've had a prostatectomy. Do you see patients in that situation where they're shocked by the consequences and, and didn't know there were options? Um, not so much now because we've been running this program for such a long time, but um, I think what Alan was saying about uh, single men, so men that aren't in relationships, and, and even um, couples when they come in and they might not be having an intimate relationship anymore as in physical, and um, so we will always explain to them before their surgery, but we actually get the men back afterwards, and 
um, to talk about erectile dysfunction on its own. And I always say, look, you've probably heard a lot of this before, but we don't want any hidden surprises. And sometimes the partners or, or, or the couple themselves might say, look, we're not interested. And I say, look, I'll just run through it anyway, because sometimes it's just about a physical part of your body that we want to get as healthy as what it was before your surgery. Because you don't know how things might change down the track. They're going to live another 20, 30 years or so. So I, I will talk about um, about the, the penile length shortening and what they can do. I will say that it, it is cool to touch sometimes. The vasculature has been affected as well. And um, we will talk about being able to orgasm without an erection or just about um, using like PDE5 inhibitors like Viagra as more of a multivitamin and just about masturbation because sometimes they think, oh, but we're not having intercourse and think, yeah, but the guy still needs to know this and he still very much needs to know that there will be no ejaculation. And I have to really say it in very black and white language now (laughs) as well because before I used to say, look, you know, when you take a Viagra, you need to have some sort of stimulation. And the wife rang up the cancer council and complained about me saying, this nurse says we have to have sex every Saturday night and I was like oh so I go I say the word masturbation now just to be clear to everybody and I'll say and I don't say ejaculation I say there'll be no sperm no sperm will come out anymore I had one man that asked about that because he was he thought the cancer had grown back and was blocking things and that's why sperm wasn't coming back and I don't want anyone to feel like that and worry so we tell it blankly to everybody, um, just so that they're empowered, they've got that knowledge. And, and I often say, look, this isn't a nice consultation, I get it. This yeah. is things you don't want to hear, but at least then you're not left wondering. And there are things we can do at any stage whenever you want to. There's a great mentor of mine, I never worked with him directly, but uh, Patrick Walsh, uh, Dr. Walsh at Johns Hopkins uh, in, in, uh, in the US is sort of the godfather of the modernization of this operation. Uh, he's often credited with making it into a safe operation. He described the blood vessels because there used to be torrential bleeding in, yes. in the early days, open surgery, you know, people would die on the, on the operating table. Uh, in the very early days, and nerve sparing was just, no, nobody knew there were nerves, so uh, Dr. Walsh discovered this, but he, he's, a, he's a great public speaker, written a great book as well, actually, Alan, um, but he wrote um, he wrote a no- lovely paper um, following his retirement recently, and the title of the paper was Listen to Your Patients, and he tells these great stories about some of the great discoveries he's made in his illustrious career, which were based on listening to his patients, and I find that one of the, um, as I sit here listening to you, I find it one of the single most uh, instructive bits of advice you can give to doctors in general, um, cancer specialists maybe in particular, and certainly prostate cancer surgeons most of all, listen to your patients because if you listen to them, all those things you've just talked about is what they're going to say to you. And you must take that information as a, as a, as a clinician and use it to, so that you're not just hearing it back afterwards, you're going to say it to them beforehand. So I, I've you know, changed, I continue to change what I say to patients based on what they say uh, to yeah. me. So if you had things like that that you could say to clinicians, you could say, well, listen listen to my words now. And if I could, f- when was your surgery? How many years ago? Uh, two th- February 2011, 2nd of February 2011. Okay. No, it wasn't oh, the 2nd of February. That's our anniversary. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It was 8th of February. These are two terrible what? dates and you're, I, I get it. Okay. It was, it was the... Oh, 
8th of February, so we did get some uh, celebrations in. Alan, your, your face matches uh, your shirt sorry, right now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, who's buying lunch today? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, okay, 10-odd years ago, um, uh, but if you could think back, I mean, obviously I think you know the answer already, some yeah. of the things I wish I knew back then. So what can we do as clinicians? So, for example, I'll give you a few little points I didn't say five years ago mm-hmm. about the penile shortening. So I, I, I usually go to great lengths uh, to talk about erectile dysfunction, and, and this is, this is, these are words that patients have used to me that I, and my patients listening will, will recognise. I say things like, it's like someone's pulled the plug out. Like overnight you wake up the next day and someone's pulled the plug out. You know, this thing's not working. And sometimes a month or two later, they, they'll tell me that, uh, okay, during the night, I'm, I'm well now, maybe my continence is fully recovered, and I can feel something during the night, and I, I lift the blankets, nah. No, no, someone's yeah. someone's pulled the plug out, yeah. and it's shorter um, uh, for that reason. So I, I tend to use that type of language based on what people say to prepare them for that shock to the system. But interestingly, on the shortening and the shock to the system thing, I'll usually also follow that on by saying that this is something that's very dramatic for all patients in the immediate aftermath. But of course, some patients, and we, we stratify this individually, uh, we might expect to have some chance of recovering some erectile function won't be the same as before down the line. But even if it's two years later, whatever it might be, they still have that same dramatic, someone's pulled the plug out and it's shorter and it can be an awful long time before they, they realise that. So so on, on that theme of things I wish I knew back then, you've covered off, you know, uh, dramatic someone's pulled the plug out, erectile dysfunction, plus some shortening and it doesn't feel quite right, it's feel, you know, um, et cetera. Leakage, et cetera, um, should we talk about that for a second? You know, were you prepared much for some leakage? Uh, we'll say. Well, the leakage is an interesting one because I'd actually had some years earlier a bladder neck incision operation and found out <coughs> from the surgeon at the time that it was a little bit tricky, but it was okay. And I went, oh my God, I'm going to be incontinent forever and a day now. So I think that's why I took longer. But also, around the incontinence of leaking that you might leak while you're orgasming, didn't know that. Or your orgasm is going to be very painful. How can the orgasm be painful? Well, you'll find out that eventually. And eventually, that does back off. The orgasms actually will be different. And I've, I think if you're trying to compare pre and post, I think they've actually changed for more intensity, which sounds a bit weird. But everyone's not going to be the same. So you can give blokes that information, but you always got to qualify, but that may not happen for everyone. And as you've said, Declan, some bloke get their erections back quite early and we've got no idea why that happens so for blokes to say you'll get it back in two years well you may but you may not but you've also got to do something to assist that it's not just going to happen on its own that's important yeah it's so tricky so whenever i so again i'll explain that on orgasm no sperm and you can leak urine until your pelvic floor is fully um strengthened so empty your bladder first but Trying to explain orgasm without an erection is always tricky. And, and so I normally follow it up with it's actually – a lot of the guys will say to me it's a more intense feeling and it's actually more pleasurable. So, yes, they do need to be told that um, it is different. It's a different feeling from what it was beforehand. Yes. But, uh, yeah, everybody's extremely different in that stage. And I'll also add that I've discovered – because I'm quite a visual person um, – you have to use your brain to fantasise. And I think most of us know that the sex comes from the brain. You can be stimulated, but that's where you've got to use your brain to actually stimulate your nerves down below. You've got to get the signal going from Melbourne to Sydney, as it was, to get the erectional nerves happening. And I still do that, and now I'm getting better responses. But it's taken a while, yeah. and I think blokes just think they're going to stick a needle in or take a Viagra. 
needs more than that. Exactly. So I had a guy actually last week and um, I was taking his catheter out and he was explaining to me that he had um, an erection while his catheter was in and that happens and that was like, so you had to think really unsexy thoughts and he's like, yeah, yeah, I was scared it was going to be painful. <laughs> but I say to these guys as well that this is such a good thing but also I have heard a lot, um, my erections were better at three months than they are, are at six months. So I say to them, not rest back in your laurels. So if you're getting any sort of a feeling and whatever, work on it. Because mm. the more you get blood flow into that shaft, the more the oxygen and nutrients are going to get in there to help that healing. And I'll explain that with the Viagra as well. I say, you can't take a full Viagra and look down and think, is it working? <laughs> no, you have to think sexy thoughts. You have to masturbate or do something. You don't just take it and think. It's not like guys that have their prostate and beforehand and all those things you see on TV. It's not going to be like that. So... If 10 out of 10 is hard enough for intercourse, if you get like a 1 out of 10 with a full dose of Viagra, this is a good sign. And it's good to tell them that to begin with because otherwise they're like, you're telling me to take these tablets and it's doing nothing. And it's like, yeah, but if it's doing just a tiny bit and you're looking down and the wife says, yeah, I think it's looking a bit fuller, that's a good thing. And often these tablets actually, they'll say it's weird, it doesn't actually work when we're intimate, but the next day it looks fuller. Now that's the... Um, the rehabilitation side of it. So if they get that concept, then and because it doesn't cost so much anymore as well, then it's a good thing to keep that background going if, um, if it's important to them, you know? Yeah, that's the important yeah. thing. I think, um, and Fiona will agree with this, that it's a, uh, a couple's journey. It's a new normal. And as you said, Emma, if they're not being intimate, that's okay. They'll be finding other ways to maintain that relationship. What is disappointing to come across couples who their relationship has not been going well for some time and this operation just flips it over and it drives a real wedge between yeah. um, And some <coughs> women will think, oh, he, he's not interested anymore because he can't get it up. Well, actually, he can't get it up because he can't get it up. Yeah. Not that he doesn't want to. Yeah. But I think uh, the couples we've met in Gippsland last year when we were out promoting Navigate, it was two different couples. One couple had just been told he had prostate cancer. They were on the verge of tears. They didn't know what to do, where to go. They'd come along to this public talk. And the other couple were on the other side. Um, and he was wanting to really ever talk about it. Well, I could see the wife was getting a bit uncomfortable as she walked away. Mm. And this is a regional area with very little support. And I went, my God, they need someone down here doing this every week. Yeah. So it's, mm. But things are changing slowly, but there's still a lot of you know gaps in the system. I think regional and really wise, anyway. I, th I think that's one of the challenges about erectile dysfunction mm. is it's such a multifactorial thing that it is it is it has to really be tailored to each patient and their circumstances. Yeah. And Fiona, I just want to revert back to you because you have an interesting way of explaining this, and you usually do it in phases of care. And oh, I yes. really like that. So could you could you give us your uh, overview of that? Okay, Renu, I think when you first hear the diagnosis, assuming you're there with your partner. Uh, you think, oh, my God, he's going to die. That's it. My husband's dead. And that's the horrifying thing because you hear the, the cancer and I think that's probably same for most cancers. Most people think, oh, my God, I'm going to die. So that's number one. But then phase two, after you've had your treatment, you go into the next phase, which is the recovery phase. But for prostate cancer, I think it probably goes into a, a split mode so you have your incontinence on the one hand, which probably comes first to a certain extent, and then you have your erectile dysfunction on the other. And you know, sometimes one goes well, the other one doesn't. Sometimes they both fix. It doesn't matter, but they're both there. 
and they both um, kick in straight afterwards effectively or I, I guess I'm not quite sure about radiotherapy that might be different for radiotherapy but certainly for surgery they kick in straight away and it's such a horrible shock but um, going down the track of helping somebody helping your partner who's had prostate cancer surgery you're in it for the long haul this is yeah. not a, a you know um, okay it's been six weeks now get over yourself come on you should be fine <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely not. And I think that's one of the things that makes me sad is seeing that within society, and maybe this is because men don't talk about it very much, men's recovery from prostate cancer is not seen to be a significant thing. It's not spoken of as being a significant event in their life, whereas, as we all know, it's physical, it's emotional, it's psychological and spiritual. And so it, it, it is a long-haul thing and the more support partners can give to their man, the better. And I, well said. And on that theme, in the last few minutes, what we want to do is, I suppose, focus on some of the resources that are out there. And Alan, you've already highlighted the fact that there's this disparity between what people can access mm. uh, in one region and another region and so on. But, you know, nowadays, as we're all learning, you can reach out and get some support no matter where you're living. Um, I should mention our intimacy specialist, uh, Victoria Cullen, uh, uh, who many of you know, of course, we all know here in this room, Victoria was due to join us today, but she's a bit under the weather. So we'll we'll give her a shout out, get well soon, uh, Victoria. But she has some great resource, um, her website, at touchysubject.com, um, which you're all very familiar with, yep. and the associated YouTube channel. Um, she posts a YouTube video almost every week, almost every Friday, um, very, very much focused on this theme today, post-prostatectomy journey and supporting patients. So I suppose Victoria and her work uh, at touchysubject.com and the website that goes with the YouTube that goes with it is one resource that I think um, you think is valuable. You yes. two have appeared on it. Um, maybe you talk about that for a moment as yes. we as we remember Victoria and hopefully we'll have her on again soon. But also if you can think of other resources that, that we could jot down and suggest to people uh, to help them through the journey, uh, please throw them out and including yeah. Prostate Zone, of course. Well, the Prostate Zone, I mean, with do a bit of a sale here, but also Victoria's website's fantastic. I mean, there was nothing like that around, you know, nearly 10 years ago. There are some books out there, but you've got to look for them. Uh, Prostate Cancer Foundation does have information booklets, but again, it comes back to them being, the men and their partners being told about them. So that's where if you go back to the support groups, they'll often have copies of them. But I think it's important that at least they be given the copies of this information so they can read and bring themselves up to speed. Um... I think Touchy Subject really covers the whole thing about couples' journey. That's important to be about that, but I'm not really aware of anything else. Is there books, Fiona? Well, what I was going to say about a touchy subject, Victoria has struck a gold mine. She's found a wonderful man who's single and he's travelling around the world after having lost his prostate, mate, and he is telling everybody how you can date and chat up women and have a wonderful sex life after prostate cancer um, dealing with your slightly droopy, slightly dribbly penis. And it's wonderful. So that's a fantastic resource, I think. But also, can I just jump in and say something from the female perspective, which is a lot of women in the age group when men are getting prostate cancer can be going through uh, their own changes, menopause, uh, and that can also throw in some problems. So I would suggest that women do some research to understand how that might impact them and get some help with that. 
One of the things some of my patients have said about Victoria's YouTube channel is they're, they're often, you know, blokes in the country, as a lot of our patients are, who are doing, you know, re- the reality is most patients get cured of their cancer nowadays. That's the least problem for most of our patients, Renew. I think we can mm. say that to them, even with significant cancer. Most of our patients actually, at the end of the day, have a good result on their continence. It's usually the erectile dysfunction. And some of my patients have said to me the reason they like watching Victoria's YouTube channels is they're not the sort of people like you guys who are, are maybe going to share the experience. They're going to kind of bottle it up a little bit, and we worry about those men but they really enjoy reading the comments that other people write yeah. under her videos. And and I had two, two patients in a row recently. I rang Victoria after they came in, and they both said the exact same thing. Um, they both met Victoria or, or interacted with her, and they said, I like reading the comments underneath her YouTube channels. It makes me feel like I'm not alone. Yes. So I think it's, it's yeah. really important the, uh, how much people want to dip into it. And even if it's just that out of whatever interaction, whether it's uh, prostate zone or touchy subject or other uh, cancer council, PCFA, y- you can often just be reassured about, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, it's normal to, to have this and that. And, oh, and, oh, and I've read here a story that, you know, a year yep. later, actually things are you know, much better and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think that's an important, and it, it is, I worry about the men who tend to bottle it up and should yeah. be all right. You know, so. And I, I mean, and I think it's, it's great really, isn't it? How far we've come since you were preparing for your prostatectomy, oh, yes. Alan, and, you know, the days of, of having to Google things and, and sort of um, learn on the run. Um, it's wonderful to know that there are all these resources available because it can be a lonely world out there if you don't know that other men are going through the same thing. And actually, I just come to mind, there are two books written by a Craig Ellenham, a physiotherapist oh, in Australia, yeah. and he's written a couple of books about the prostate cancer journey. So his book is probably worthwhile for men, I guess, uh, wanting to look at that. Um, there's actually another book that's interesting reading, if you're a couple that want to know how other couples deal with this whole erectile, and it's Petita Arden's What Men Want in Bed. It doesn't quite... Uh, uh, yeah, I can see the wink. I can. It doesn't deal complete with prostate cancer, but it does deal with men being intimate and stuff like that. So it's an interesting read. And another part of that is to hear how the women do and don't handle it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we love lists here at GUcast, don't we, Declan? Yeah. So I, I want to ask Alan and Fiona, if, if you could give us your top three bits of advice uh, that you would give to a couple who are approaching treatment for prostate cancer. That's a tough one, top three, but if you can narrow it down. Find someone to talk to who has been through it already. Uh, Find a support group, maybe talk to a support group leader. Alan runs the local support group where we live and we have – he has spent a lot of time on the phone talking to blokes. Sometimes they come to our place, we have coffee. Sometimes the wife or partner comes along or we meet them out and talk to them about their concerns leading up to their treatment and afterwards. So that is a really key thing. I think find someone who has been there and talk to them. That's a good one. Yeah, I think if one or both of the uh, couples are having problems is to reach out for support. And then maybe people don't think they need to do this, but if you are struggling with the whole concept, whether it's physical, mental, emotional... There is counselling available within Peter Mac or in your area, but to find someone who can understand what you're going through because this impacts you deeply. And yes, the support groups can be there. They may not meet your needs, but you don't feel like you're on your own. Uh, For women, it might be a bit more difficult because there's not many support groups for women, but seeking professional help to get your head around what's going on for you, not bottle it up. Emma, do you have one? Um, I probably have plenty, but (laughs) I think the main one is... Just be kind to yourself because it's a real roller coaster. It is a cancer diagnosis with changes, and yes, 
you might be cured, but it still is emotionally a, a bit of a roller coaster. So, and that's okay. Yeah. And I think one thing I would I would encourage patients to do is if if there is a significant other or a partner in their lives, get them involved as early as possible. Most definitely. Most definitely. It's, uh, you think you can do this on your own, and maybe you do, but I think for this particular type of surgery and cancer, it really impacts, from my observation, physically, mentally, emotionally. And as Fiona said, we've spoken to blokes three, four years after, and they are still dealing with it on another level of you know the impact on their physical and mental, emotional uh, way they operate. Now, I'm too old, I'm not going to worry about it, but you can tell they are still dealing with it. So get support. Whatever way it works for you. Fantastic. Emma? And your penis is delicate, so go slowly with it too, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, just before we wrap up, Alan, we're always learning interesting things about you, and uh, today we've learned a good one. Uh, this is not your first time in a recording studio, uh, and you've done your own little version of Good Morning Vietnam uh, hosting a breakfast show. Uh, yes, yeah, serving in Vietnam with the Air Force in 1970, and they had their Australian Forces radio, so... In a volunteer do the breakfast show and it was learning on the job, as the saying goes. Uh, a good mate of mine would come in and open the station up and we'd patch into Radio Australia and then we'd start playing music and we could, well, I wouldn't say we, the announcers could select their own uh, records, but actually got a warning, I believe, that I was getting a bit too much heavy rock and roll Jimi Hendrix. Not quite Good Morning <laughs> Vietnam, Robin Williams, but uh, I got told to quieten it down, which I didn't, of course. So <laughs> it's a bit strange being back in the studio again, but I've got a couple of tapes of myself radio announcing, but yeah, I love it. Great fun. Fantastic. What a great tip. <laughs> and, and on that uh, very pleasant note, thank you so much again, um, Alan and Fiona White, for joining us and indeed for uh, all the support that you give our patients and prostate cancer patients uh, all over the place. It's been really instructive uh, as ever to listen to the patient um, and partner perspective on the prostate cancer journey. And thank you very much to Emma Birch, who supports all our patients for coming in today. And um, that's it from myself and Renu Epen for this episode of uh, GU Cast. Next week, we are back with. Um, a bunch of post-ASCO GU cast highlights with some of our uh, celebrity international key opinion leaders who will be talking about prostate, kidney and bladder cancer. That's all coming at you next week on GU cast. Take care.